This is the West, sir. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Geneva. And I'm Tatum. We're two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. So, Tatum, here we are back again. What have you yes, been watching? Here we are, back, <laughs> back in, uh, on our podcast here. <laughs> that's that that's a... my best choice. <laughs> like, are you going for a Humphrey Bogart? Let's what, um, what's happening here. Edward G. Robinson? <laughs> no, that's my Jimmy Stewart. Take it or leave it. Okay, bye. <laughs> wow, great job, great job. Sorry, um, girl. It's all right. We've got time to <laughs> to work on. <laughs> um, have you been watching anything this this week? I know your your uh, your time continues to be crazy. Yeah, actually, believe it or not, uh, I had the opportunity to watch two things this week um, because I don't really know how that worked out, but it did. So I got to watch two things. Um, the first thing I watched was the uh, one of the Oscar nominees for Best Picture, Triangle of Sadness. Ooh. And then the other one I watched, I finally got to watch um, one of the movies that was nominated for uh, Best International Feature, Argentina, 1985. Um, and so, yeah, I watched both of those this week. Um, I I will say I have no idea why Triangle of Sadness was nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> um, I, I think that this is a very divisive film. I see some people that really like it and then some people like me that are just like, why? <laughs> um, mm. And I I don't know if the reason I didn't particularly enjoy this film is because it came out in the same year as The White Lotus Season 2 and The Menu and this kind of Not theme. to mention Glass Onion. And I yeah. feel like there's probably a handful of things that are um, dealing with similar sort of eat the rich uh, Yeah. Themes. I just feel like this theme is very uh, overdone at this point. Um, but I really did try to look past that and just enjoy the movie itself, apart from the fact that we've seen this story mm-hmm. <laughs> or this theme a million times in the last year. Um, but ultimately, I really was very underwhelmed by this film. Um, for those people who don't know, it's a film that's, again, about classism, basically, and the wealthy. Um, but this is a satire. So it, it kind of... Um, hammers down your throat the concept of rich people are privileged but does it in uh, a satirical sort of way um i thought the film did start out strong i thought it had some interesting um dialogue and some interesting perspectives on modeling and being um internet influencers and social media influencers and what relationships look like when you live in that kind of world um there was some really good dialogue in the beginning that i that i enjoyed but by the time the movie moved to the to the cruise ship, it completely lost me. Um, and that's a fair chunk of the film. Um, I just, I found it to be very boring uh, because I felt like the movie didn't have anything else to say beyond 
rich people are privileged and classism sucks. And real shocker there. Yeah, I just kept wanting there to be something more. Just I just kept thinking, are you going to contribute anything else to this conversation? Do you have any other type of perspective on this other than just stating the obvious and stating it over and over and over and over again? Um, And ultimately, I found that it never really moved past that. And so I was very underwhelmed and I was honestly quite bored. I could barely get through it. Um, it just, it's way too long. Also, this movie does not need to be two and a half hours long. There are some sequences in here that could have been done in five minutes, but they make them 25 minutes. It's like, why? (laughs) Um, so yeah, I, I was not a fan of the movie. Um, I found it to be unoriginal and that's my take on it. Uh, I have no idea why it was nominated for best picture. Um, it's disappointing. I have not yet seen it. That's the last of the Best Picture nominees that I have to see. And I think it just got added to Hulu, right? Is that where you watched it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm planning on, I'll see it this week then. I'll see. Maybe I'll like it a little more than you, but we don't. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, maybe you will like it more because I don't think you've watched. Well, I was going to say you haven't watched The White Lotus, but you've also seen Glass Onion and The Menu. So you have also been consuming this oh, type yeah. of theme. <laughs> a lot of that. So <laughs> um, A lot of that coming out recently. Yeah, so you might be as worn out by it as I am. I don't know, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, um, I did like the menu quite a bit. Um, so, and just the the previews for both of them made them look so similar. So, mm-hmm. I feel like my the fact that I like the menu may work against it, and just that I'll mm-hmm. I feel like I'll I'll be just like this is the same thing all over again. But I I don't want to pre- prejudge it. We'll yeah, see. I feel like the menu because. On my letterboxed movies for the year, I did rank the menu higher than Triangle of Sadness. I'm not particularly a huge fan of the menu, but I at least found the menu to be entertaining. I think it kind of falls apart at the end, but I do find that movie to be entertaining. Whereas Triangle of Sadness, I was just like, why? This is, I just, I'm not, I'm just bored. Um, (laughs) Anyway, but yeah, I also watched um, Argentina 1985 which is a film that is documenting, um, I don't, so, so there was a civil war that happened in Argentina in, um, the 19, I think it was the 19, late, late 1970s into the early 1980s. I think it was, um, where essentially Argentina was run by a military government and they brutally basically kidnapped and tortured millions of people and their bodies were never found. And so in the country, they're very famously called the desaparecidos, which in English means the disappeared. And um, I actually took a class on this in college that was literally just about this war in Argentina. But that was like 10 years ago. So I don't remember all the details. But um, this film follows the lawyer who is basically chosen to uh, um, lead the court case that is attempting to convict a lot of the people that were in charge of the Ooh. government at that time. Um, and so it was a huge case. There was a lot of danger for the prosecutor of mm. people who were like, we will kill you if you keep pursuing this. Um, so anyway, that's the premise of the movie. I thought the movie was very beautifully shot I thought the cinematography was great. Um, I liked, I thought that the acting performances were very impressive. Um, I do think that, uh, I, I, 
I liked the movie. I did not love the movie. Um, I felt like it was one of the things I did really appreciate about it was it was very, very um, it highlighted capturing the stories of the desaparecidos. It was focusing on these are the people who disappeared. This is how they struggled. And I think that that's really, really important. But I felt like the the other court case, like investigation side of it, the preparing for the courtroom that the lawyers, I felt that that was a little bit incomplete. So it was like, we have them in the courtroom sharing all of these stories and collecting all of these stories. And that's the real powerful part. But then they go outside of the courtroom. And I felt like it just wasn't necessarily as well put together. All of the other stuff that was happening, like behind the scenes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the movie. I think that it's worth watching for people that don't necessarily know about this, um, war that happened and, and the desaparecidos and how that affected the whole country. Um, the movie doesn't go into everything obviously because that's a huge, uh, thing to go into, but, uh, yeah, I would highly recommend it. And I think it was, I think it was well-made. So yeah. I think it definitely deserved its nomination for Best International Feature. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you for that. That's fascinating. I, I, you know, I, I saw that title, of course, when the um, Best Inter- International Feature nominations came out, but I had no idea that that's what that was about. So, yeah. Where, where did you say that you saw it? Um, It's been on Amazon Prime for a while, actually. Oh, okay. All yeah. Right, yeah. Maybe I'll search that out. That looks sounds really interesting. Yeah, it is. I think you'd like it. Yeah, I do love a um, like a good court case movie. Um, mm-hmm. you know, or a, a, you know, I love a historical <laughs> movie, <laughs> or a historical time period. Mm-hmm. So, I will yeah. say when I started watching it, it it was initially in English, and I was like, "What is going on? Why is this movie in English?" <laughs> but then I realized that the version I was watching was dubbed, and I was like, "Oh, oh I hate this." No. So then I switched the language to Spanish. Um, and fun fact, I actually really struggle with understanding Argentinian Spanish um, because the way that they pronounce words is so, not just the ja, but like so many of the pronunciations are different and they use a lot of different vocabulary than I'm used to. So I was watching the movie and I was like, I need subtitles because I can't understand what they're saying. Yeah. But is it anyway. different in- to be called a dialect or is it just a very strong accent that can be difficult if you're not familiar with it i mean i don't know the the definition of dialect so i don't know but i will say that like the vocabulary is different enough that there were a lot of words that i genuinely didn't know what they were so maybe that means sure. it would be a different dialect. I don't know. But also, I'm not a native Spanish speaker. So if someone's a native Spanish speaker, they probably would understand it a lot more easily than <laughs> I would because they know those words. Or sure. maybe they do. I don't know. But it was interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fascinating. Well, for me this week, um, I saw so three things. First, I watched a movie from the 1950s called Niagara, which is a sort of a suspense thriller. Um, it is a dramatic performance from Marilyn Monroe. So most of the the Marilyn Monroe films, uh, films I've seen are comedic roles, but here she's playing very much a femme fatale. And I will say the plot is, it's okay. It's definitely kind of, you know, 
Alfred Hitchcock vibes. It's not directed by Alfred Hitchcock, but that sort of um, very noirish, suspenseful, psychological um, type of narrative. Um, I wouldn't say that the story itself is the best that I've seen, but I will say that this film, the cinematography, oh my goodness, <laughs> this <laughs> looks so beautiful. Obviously it is set, you know, as the name would imply, it's set at Niagara Falls. It is um, a couple played by Marilyn Monroe and Joseph Cotton who have been married for a while and hate each other and have come there. Basically, Marilyn Monroe, we, we quickly find out, basically neither of them have each other's best interest at heart. <laughs> and there is a murder attempt that is made, and I won't spoil anything further, but the setting of, you know, it is filmed, a lot of it is filmed around actual Niagara Falls of the 1950s. Um, there's some locations that I recognize from the time that I went there when I was younger with my family. You know, they brought a camera there, brought the actors there. Um, very interesting to see the way it's changed or not changed um, over the last 50 years. But yeah, this movie just absolutely looks gorgeous. The way that they use color, the way they use shadows is... It's just stunning. Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous woman, absolutely incredibly styled. Her out, her uh, costuming is wonderful. Um, her acting is great. I it's really fun to see her in in a uh, more dramatic, more villainous role than what I usually see her in. So that was a lot of fun. So yeah, I would say uh, check it out if you're interested in um, in seeing Marilyn Monroe do something that is um, not a comedy. Um, next is a movie I watched just last night and I'd heard, this is a recent movie and I, when I first heard the premise, I was like, wow, this sounds right up my alley. It is called The Kid Detective. Basically the premise of it is what if Encyclopedia Brown grew up and was like a 35 year old loser who's still solving small town crimes in his small town and is kind of. Uh, at a dead end in life, and then he's hired to solve a real murder and has to figure it out. But the the movie is actually, I mean, that, that's kind of a great idea for a premise to begin with. The movie is actually, I would say, even better than that, though. It is actually surprisingly a really good movie, I would say. Um, Why do you say surprisingly? <laughs> Did you expect just, it to be bad? I don't know. It's just, I, I feel like when you say, what if Encyclopedia Brown grew up? You're like, okay, well, that's like... Could be a really silly, you know, just riffing on, um, you know, riffing on or parodying the idea of Encyclopedia Brown. Like, it could be a really dumb comedy. It could be a premise for a really dumb comedy. But instead, it's this sort of noirish, very dark comedy mixed with actual legitimate drama and suspense. And Oh, the... I just looked up Encyclopedia Brown because I had no idea what it was. Wait, you've never so... read Encyclopedia Brown growing up? Oh. <gasps> Oh my goodness. Oh, you missed out. Yeah. For those who don't know, Encyclopedia Brown is a, a series of children's books. Um, I loved mysteries when I was a kid, so I was obsessed with these books. Um, the premise is that it's a child who's preternaturally smart and is able to solve mysteries. And so people will bring him, um, you know, who stole the, the cash from the um, Who out of stole my locker, the cookie from or... the cookie jar? Was you? <laughs> you know, um, that sort of thing. Um, you know, just like 
ground level kid stuff. But um, yeah, so the anyway, <laughs> anyway, the movie is about it's starring Adam Brody and he is. Yeah, he's a he was a kid detective. And so he grew up with all these people telling him that he's this brilliant genius. And then life kind of happens and he finds himself stuck in the same place that he was 20 years ago. And his town has fallen into decay and everyone kind of looks at him with pity because he hasn't really done anything with his life. He drinks too much. He um, his finances are in a terrible state. Um, You know, he's just things are not going well for him. And then this girl comes to him and says, can you solve the murder of my boyfriend? And all of a sudden he's confronted with, well, now I actually have to live up to the promise that I showed all of these years ago. And what do I, can I do, do that? What do I do with all of these things? So I, yeah, check out this movie. It is, it is really good. Adam Brody is. Would it be. Would it be a mm-hmm. good movie to watch if you have no connection to Encyclopedia Brown? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, they they explain the premise. It is not an actual, to be clear, it's not an actual Encyclopedia Brown um, movie. It's That's clearly what is, it's riffing off of, but they establish oh, okay. um, what the premise of it is, uh, independent of that. Adam Brody is a wonderful actor, and he does, gives a really great performance. It is, there's a lot of comedy in it, um, in the way that... Um, in a lot of the situations he finds himself. But like I said, it's also kind of layered and a very interesting, dark, um, sometimes very sad character study that, yeah, it really, it really got me in the end. It was kind of emotional and also legitimately terrifying in certain parts. And yeah, I, I would really recommend this movie. Hmm. Kid Detective. Nice. And then the last one <laughs> is my beloved... Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. I finally saw it. <laughs> I'm and so happy you finally got to see it. Everything that for, I to wanted. The, it to. For the listener, I want you all to know Geneva has been wanting to see this movie <laughs> for forever. I somehow knew. I, I gleaned just from the trailer. This movie is going to be everything to me, and I finally saw it. And guess what? It was. This movie is everything that I could ask for. Where does it rank for uh, your 2022 movies? I don't know. I've got to I've got to re-rank my list because I've seen a few recently that I haven't um yet um put up on my list. I can tell you. Has it surpassed nope? <laughs> well, I'm not going to say it's number 1, but okay. it's it's in the top 10. I'm pretty sure I can tell you that at this point. All right. Um yeah, it's got everything you could possibly want from this type of movie. It's got a uh great performance from a sweet little um middle-aged British character actor and actress in the uh, form of Leslie Manville giving a really wonderful performance set in the 1950s. It's got absolutely gorgeous Dior gowns. It's got a really, really cute subplot about two um, uh, sweet young French people who just want to be together and are too nervous to tell each other that they like each other. And so they have to have (laughs) Mrs. Harris come into their lives and give them the push they need. And it's got actually some nice, uh, thoughtful themes about the power and the role of art in our lives and how art should not be restricted to one class um, or the other, about how art can elevate us and inspire us to be better versions of who we are, and that it's really important for people of all classes to have access to that. So, yeah, I really love this movie. I would recommend. Mrs. I'm Harris so goes happy to you got to see it. I'm so happy you got to see it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I am too. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, with all of that, <laughs> let's move on to the movie we're actually going to be talking about this week, which is the 1962 Western, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which is directed by John Ford, starring John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, Lee Marvin, and Vera Miles. So, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. So, this is a Western. The American Western had been around, well, has been around as a genre since before the invention of film. Um, there were Western pulp novels and story magazines for, um, since, basically since the American West has existed. But it really flourished with the advent of film. Westerns were relatively cheap to produce. They were visually engaging. There was a familiar set of themes and character archetypes at hand. So they were produced in the hundreds during Hollywood's first half century. Uh, a lot of the early TV shows that were made when TV first came onto the scene were Westerns. As the genre matured, however, directors became um, more and more interested in remixing its familiar elements, not just for mass entertainment, but to explore the dark side of human nature and to both celebrate and critique the American mythos. The Western, of course, is very much associated with America's founding myths. No director is more associated with the classic Hollywood Western than John Ford, whose legendary collaborations with actor John Wayne produced such films as Stagecoach, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, The Searchers, and of course, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. In this film, which is adapted from a short story by Dorothy Johnson, Ford teams Wayne with Jimmy Stewart. Stewart made a lot of Westerns throughout his career, but his gentle, intellectual, yet down-to-earth on-screen persona could not be more different from the hardened, cool-yet-violent characters that Wayne often specialized in. Wayne uses those differences to great effect by placing both of their characters in opposition to a lawless bully, the outlaw Liberty Valance, played by Lee Marvin. At the same time, Stewart and Wayne are their characters are rivals for the love of Hallie, played by Vera Miles. The contrast between their characters symbolizes opposing forces within the American founding myth, the old Western frontier versus the civilization of the modern age, freedom through strength and violence versus freedom through education and law. In the process, it raises questions about the stories that a nation chooses to tell it about itself. All right, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. So this is a movie that... Um, I honestly can't remember the first time I'd seen it, probably around high school or so. Um, I'd seen it a couple times over the years since, liked it a lot. And um, yeah, it's, um, I've always really been attracted to the, the, the darkness and the um, kind of complication of it. Um, I've, I, I enjoy the Western genre in general. I would not say I'm, super well versed in the western i particularly haven't seen many of the kind of 60s 70s 80s western deconstruction you know clint eastwood the spaghetti westerns um unforgiven things like that but uh, you know i grew up with a dad who loves a <laughs> loves a john wayne movie so i've seen several of those in my time um tatum i know you have very strong feelings <laughs> about the the western genre in particular so i'm curious about well, both you could talk about that, but then I'm also curious about your experience of seeing this movie. Well, I want to start by saying that it's not that I have strong feelings about Westerns. Westerns are not movies where 
I'm like, I hate them. I'm just, they're just not my jam. Um, I don't think that they're bad movies. I don't think that they shouldn't exist. I, I, I don't hate them. They're just not my thing. I don't get them. Um, I find them to be just uninteresting, uh, t- to me that they don't, they don't interest me at all. Um, and I've seen, you know, similar to Geneva, I haven't seen a lot of the um, classic ones. I've mostly seen newer ones like No Country for Old Men and um, the the more recent, uh, what was it called? The one with Jeff Bridges that was a remake, True, True Grit. Grit. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen True Grit. I've seen, uh, gosh, there was another, uh, what was it? Three, 310 to Yuma. Um, so I've seen a lot more of the more recent ones, and I think two of those are remakes of of classics. Um, Do you see the assassination of Jesse James by the coward no. Robert Ford? Oh. So I will say, I know that there are a lot of people that very passionately love westerns, and they're probably screaming right now, Tatum, you've only <laughs> seen the bad ones. You haven't seen the good ones. That's why you don't like them. That could very well be true. Um, but <laughs> the ones that I have <laughs> I don't think seen... any of the ones you've listed are are bad um, uh, yeah i don't know i mean they're um, very very specifically of that sort of newer western which is that you know it, it's a different vibe than different eras of the western well i'm just thinking if western. there's people that are like classic west like they love the spaghetti what they love the john ford they probably are like well you have to watch these instead you have to watch clint eastwood gotcha. in you know and I've never done that because the ones I have seen have not made me want to watch anymore. So I will say that sure. right off the sure. bat. Um, but before I go into sharing my my specific opinions about this movie in particular, uh, Geneva, I want to ask you a question because you had mentioned, hmm. I don't remember if you mentioned this on the podcast or if you just mentioned it to me personally when we weren't recording, but you had initially chosen Rio Bravo for this, but then you switched I it had, to yes. The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. And I think you told me that you switched it because you thought that there was a higher chance that I would like this one instead of the other one. So why why do you think that? What are the things about this movie that you were like, ah, th- this might this might speak to Tatum a little bit more than something else? I'm curious. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, for for fuller context, Liberty or um, Rio Bravo's probably my favorite western i will say i've not seen it in several years but that one has really stuck with me over the years i've rewatched it many times um i switched it to liberty valance i think partly honestly because liberty valance is a bit shorter rio bravo is mm-hmm. um i think it's in the maybe not quite two and a half hours but definitely more in the like 215 ish whereas i believe this is right around the two hour mark Rio Bravo is a bit slower and there are long stretches of the the movie where it's just kind of the characters hanging out with each other and um, it's a bit more about building atmosphere than about action. Um, Yeah. And then I was just, I was curious how the, this film's um, themes about the sort of, um, examination and deconstruction of the western sort of mythos would appeal to you i I know that's not typically what you're looking for um in terms of that sort of thematic exploration it's not necessarily the first thing that jumps out at you when you're experiencing movies um but yeah rio bravo is um 
yeah, a movie I love, but it's it's exploring something a bit different. So, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I was just curious. Um, okay, so to get to my opinions of this movie, um, <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to think about how to put this into words. Um, I will say I did not hate the movie. Um, that's good. I that's will. I more will than say, I could have expected. <laughs> I will say that this movie bothered me. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason it bothered me is because I felt like it did a bait and switch, and I hated the bait and switch. <laughs> um, because it felt like it was going in this direction that I was totally in on. I was, you know, my thoughts were j- just the whole first what quarter to first third of this movie of him getting to this town and him meeting this woman and I think Hallie's really great and she's super smart and really intelligent and just love her dynamic how she commands a room but is also kind-hearted at the same time generous I just think she's a very well-rounded character um I loved the concept of um of Rant's teaching a literacy school, teaching people how to read. I felt like the movie was really going in a direction of um, more so like, I don't know, civil rights slash women's rights slash education and why that matters. And I loved that. And then it switched and Hallie was barely in the second half of the movie at all. And then we never saw the school again. And then it went down this direction of, oh, now we're doing the Western thing of just, okay, here's a bad guy who's terrorizing this town for reasons that I don't care about because the reasons I feel like aren't really established. It's kind of like, oh, he's the bad guy because he's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know what his motivations are. I don't know why he's doing this other than just, oh, well, I'm a mean man who wants to come in and torture people and blah, and that's my character. I'm like, that's not a well-rounded character. But now the whole movie is about you and I don't care about you. Let's go back to the other story. (laughs) So basically, I liked the movie until it became a Western. (laughs) And then once it became a Western, I was bored. (laughs) I it just I felt like the movie didn't have much to offer in the second half other than what's the better way to go about you know, bringing justice? Is it better to go about it through law or better to go about it through violence? But I feel like they didn't even go into that in a super deep way. It was kind of just, okay, well, let's have them face off in the street. And uh, now he's a politician. And uh, and it just, I found that the twist at the end was not surprising. I knew that freaking John Wayne's character shot the guy before they revealed it. I knew that. So mm-hmm. I thought that that whole tension was boring. I I don't know. I, this movie, this movie bothered me because I really liked how it started. And then I felt like it just became something that I wasn't asking for in the second half. Um, I think it's a tragedy that Hallie is pushed into like a minor character and kind of all but disappears until the end um so yeah I mean yeah I don't hate the movie um but I didn't care for the western parts of it and I think (laughs) 
that just says a lot about me not liking <laughs> the Western format of things. So yeah, yeah. Th- th- those are my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Feel free to disagree, but that's, that's I mean, where I stand on I, I certainly will. But no, that's interesting because that, that gives me some helpful context on what it is that you don't like about the Western genre. Why it is that it doesn't engage you. Because, I mean, for this for this movie, the second half of this movie the first, it's very much of a piece to me where the first half of it is setting up the second half. You know, the the first half is showing here are all the things that Rance can offer to this town. He can offer the the, the opportunity for education. He can offer um, democracy and, and law and the, the ability for people to participate and learn and, and become part of, um, you know, a society where... Um, everyone is equal and everyone has a voice, but in order to get there, he has to confront the, um, the, the forces of chaos, basically, you know, which is Liberty Valance and his sort of bullying, um, power hungry, you know, I'm just out for me and, you know, I'm getting paid by the, the powerful forces who we don't really see, but we know are out there and don't want to allow the underdog to have a voice. And so I'm going to, you know, just do their bidding and and keep everyone else down. Rance has to overcome that. And it turns out the only, the only way to overcome that is through an act of violence. Um, But it, it, in the end, it's not even his act of violence. It's the act of violence of Tom, who is kind of the, the counterpoint to Rance. You know, he's not the educated one. He's not standing for civilization. He's kind of, represents more the old west ways of you know toughness and and um asserting yourself and um staying free by the point of a gun and so yeah i don't know for me it it doesn't it's not like the movie shifts it's that the movie is revealing what it's actually about and the questions that it's actually posing but it just sounds like you're not as interested in (laughs) what the questions are that the movie is actually interested in yeah, I I just don't I I don't I don't I'm not interested in western stories of here's a bad guy who shoots guns and terrorizes people and we need to take him down and he's bad because I think that it would have been different with this movie in particular. And honestly, I would love to hear your opinion on this because maybe you see more to him than I do, but I feel like um, Liberty Valance is really not a well-rounded character at all. I feel like we don't know anything about him beyond he's just a bad guy who likes to hurt people and he gets joy out of hurting people and intimidating them. I think that we can make assumptions about who he is and why he's doing what he's doing, but I just find that that's not well established. And at the same time, I don't know. I just felt like Rance sure. and Hallie they were both very well-rounded and then I found uh, Liberty Valance as well as Tom to not be well-rounded. I felt like the whole beginning of the movie were introduced at this funeral or I guess before the funeral happens, but everyone is really upset about their friend who's died, who we don't know who it is. And then we're, we know by the end that the person who dies is Tom. And that didn't move me at all because I was like, I feel like Tom's friendship and his his impact on these people was not really established at all because he I I don't know I just felt like it wasn't 
it wasn't earned for me. The whole him going into his house to commit suicide. I was just like, I don't even know enough about you to care about you, to care why this is happening. I just felt like the movie had so much potential to, I don't know, just go. I wish that it had gotten rid of all of the Western stuff in the second half (laughs) and spent that time really diving into the characters and their psyches and motivations and just making them more complete as characters. And I wonder if, if you felt like a, if any of that was lacking for you and B, if so, like, why do you think that it's that way or why does it not bother you as much? I don't know. Like, Do they feel like well-rounded characters to you? Because to me, I feel like they're just stereotypes of like, this is the bad guy. And then this is the friend who was initially the bad guy, but then he changes his mind and becomes good at the end. And I don't know. I I don't know. I just, yeah. 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 No, it's a legitimate question. I mean, well, I think part of that answer for me goes into what do I like about West, what about the Western genre? And for me, what I really connect to about at least westerns of this era i think westerns later westerns like you were talking about true grit um assassination of jesse james which i know you haven't seen things more recently are doing something a bit different but for me westerns of this era are they're fables they are fantasy stories you know they are stories that are kind of abstract and are using archetypes but in order to tell a specific story and to explore specific themes so for me, when you say Liberty Valance is not a well-rounded character, he's just a bad guy. I say, well, Sauron is not a well-rounded character. He's, you know, <laughs> he's just a bad guy. How he just dare exists you? to corrupt and hurt people. And that's actually okay. that's not true. There is a lot of backstory to Sauron. Well, yes, in the books. if you're going to go and that, read but... the lore and read the Samarillion, <laughs> sure, and you can write all sorts of fanfic about Liberty Valance's backstory and what got him into it. But in the context of the story. Sometimes if the story you're going to tell needs a bad guy and they're they're just going to be a bad guy, that's okay. You know, we just, we need a force who is the force of chaos, the force of corruption, the force of, um, you know, standing against what the heroes represent. And that allows the heroes to then bring out the qualities that they have um, and to make choices and yeah, sometimes you don't need the bad guy to have, you know, a complex story of, you know, my parents hurt me and that's why I grew up like this or um, my you know, mother's maybe pearls. I also play the violin <laughs> and so I have complexity or something like and not to dismiss all of that. Like, you know, there are great stories where uh, the the idea of the bad guy is complicated, but this is not a story where, you know, it's trying to, you know, show all of these shades in its bad guy. This is a story where there is a guy who is a bully and um, he's hurting people and he needs to be stopped and no one is able to stand up for stand up to him. Um, And so these two characters um, are put into the position where they do need to stand up to him and the ways in which that happens and what it causes as a result is what brings the interest in this movie. Uh. Brings the interest for some people. Yeah. (laughs) Brings me the interest. (laughs) To me, it provides zero interest at all, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, I was thinking maybe we would do a little bit more of the plot of this movie than we often do in our conversation conversations, sure. just because this is a movie that, um, you know, it's from 1962. It's by no means obscure. I mean, this is a pretty well-known John Wayne, John Ford movie, but um, still, I thought it might be helpful to just go through the plot a little bit more. Can I just say that mm-hmm. John Wayne is very tall? He is a, yes, he was I was watching this movie and I was man. like, he is towering over <laughs> everyone. It's like, Jimmy dang, Stewart, son. also not short. Jimmy Stewart is quite tall, but, but John Jimmy Wayne Stewart, just like absolutely a massive presence, which I think is. Well, Jimmy Stewart doesn't have the tall hat and true. he's also a little bit more lanky. He's, yeah. Whereas he stoops a John little Wayne's bit. like a, he's like a bulky mm-hmm. guy yeah. with a huge hat on. Yeah. <laughs> like, dang. Yeah. You're I mean, huge. he's a movie star present. Like, this is why this man was a movie star for 50 years. Like, he's not the greatest actor in the world, as you've probably noticed. But he just has this presence that, you know, he just absolutely hulks over everyone else. And, yeah, he's just hard to hard to take your eyes off when he's on screen. Um. Yeah, so to just to start going through the plot a little bit, so this movie starts with a framing device, which is Jimmy Stewart, who's playing this character, Ransom Stoddard, Rance, as he's called to his friends, and then Vera Miles playing Hallie. Um, the two of them married um, years, decades after the action of the story, are returning back to the, the town, which is called Shinbone, um, I don't think we know what state it takes place, but um, they are uh, greeted by this reporter on the train station. The reporter's like, hey, what are you doing back here? You know, Jimmy Stewart's a, or Rance, I should say, Rance is a senator. You know, he's off doing important things, and they're all very confused about why he's returning home to, to Shinbone. But it turns out that he's here to attend a funeral, and the funeral, no one seems to know much about it. You know, it's not very well attended um doesn't seem like this person is very well remembered in this town but um it turns out that the funeral is for tom donovan um and the reporters are asking him you know why are you coming back to to visit this guy's funeral what's what's going on what's your history with him so Rand starts to tell the story which ends up being the story of this movie um do you have any thoughts just on this this opening scene um um Yes, I think that Jimmy Stewart's acting as an old man is insane. <laughs> like, he takes his voice and multiplies it. I mean, he just doubles down. He really he was does, talking, yeah. He was talking, and my fr- I was just like, what is this choice? Please, I hope you're not talking like this the whole movie. And then he mm-hmm. stopped, obviously, when they had the flashback. And then yeah. I was like, wow. His old man voice is, uh, it's a little intense. (laughs) (laughs) It's like how when, you know, like, uh, maybe a Southern person, as they get older, they become more Southern or something like that. It's just like, the accent just really goes to town. I feel like he also, um, which you see this a little bit more toward the end of the movie, but he also has this sort of politician mode that he goes into. And so he'll be talking Mm. to people and he's like, oh, yes, I'm so glad to be in this town. And I'm going to write to the railroad (laughs) and tell them how great you treated me. But then when he goes to talk to Hallie, his his whole voice and demeanor kind of softens. And it's like he's going in and out of politician mode because, you know, he's so used to being this like big shot politician who's hobnobbing with all the, you know, Hollywood or Hollywood government bigwigs. Uh, But then when he's with his wife, he can be a little bit more of a normal person. 
Anyway. Yeah. And I also loved his very heavily caked on, yes. like, <laughs> old person, white hair. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, dang. Yeah. That is that. Wow. Intense. Yeah. The old person. It 1962 like, year old person makeup. Looks like on he both just dipped his head in a bowl of powder. <laughs> it was crazy. It's probably not far from what they did. <laughs> I don't know what it was like at the time, but. <laughs> All right. But yeah, I mean, those are those are my only uh, thoughts on the beginning. Just I th- the initial impressions of Jimmy Stewart. It's like, wow. <laughs> This is this is Jimmy Stewart like I've never seen him before and I don't know if I like seeing him like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well it's very much Jimmy Stewart in like big shot mode, you know. He's the right. he's the famous senator governor guy who's like suddenly showing up in the middle of nowhere and everyone's like, "Wait, what's going on?" Also these reporters are extremely nosy about <laughs> why he's showing up in town. They're like, "Our <laughs> people have a right to know why you're here." And he's like, "Do they?" Anyway, all right, so he starts telling this story. So basically, when Ransom first arrived in Shinbone as, um, well, he's supposed to be kind of a kid fresh out of law law school. Jimmy Stewart was like 50-something. <laughs> yeah, he does not he does look, not look like a, a young man. Um, but, you know, we've got to suspend disbelief, and that's it's fine. Um, so <laughs> as he's ri- arriving into Shinbone, his stagecoach is held up by Liberty Valance, who is an absolute jerk, Um steals jewelry from this woman terrifies everyone Rance starts to a woman who him. we never see again by mm-hmm. the way yeah no she's just another stagecoach passenger like what <laughs> yeah <laughs> um Rance is like I want to see you taken down by the law and because of that uh Liberty Valance just absolutely beats the shit out of him um Rance is taken into town. He's cared for by Hallie. Um, John Wayne, I think, is the one who brings him into town. Um, basically, Rance learns that Liberty Valance is the guy who takes him down, who had um, robbed him. Uh, uh, Rance is determined to see that he is dealt with by the law. You know, Rance is a, a recent lawyer and he wants to set up a practice. He wants to make sure everything is above board. He wants to bring democracy and and freedom into this town. And everyone's like, nah, you're crazy. That the only way that anyone can deal with Liberty Valance is with a gun. And the, the, the sheriff of this town we learn is just kind of a huge coward and he won't confront Liberty Valance in any, any sort of way. Um, any, any thoughts on this opening? We Rance meets Hallie who is working um, at the local restaurant. She's a, very sweet, but also very um, smart, independent-minded woman. And the two of them kind of have a, a little bit of a, a connection. Um, Hallie sort of feels for, for Rance and um, is kind of, yeah, really interested and attracted to his, um, the fact that he is an educated person, the fact that he wants to um, bring the law into this town. He She's sort of being courted by, John Wayne's character, Tom Donovan, who is a rancher in the area. Um, Tom is a very, like, kind of rough, sort of plain speaking, you know, he's, no one wants to mess with him. He's just kind of, um, yeah, kind of a representative of the Old West in a way. Um, So he's been courting Hallie, but Hallie's not quite sure about whether, whether she wants to be with him or not. Yeah, any, any thoughts on this sort of initial few scenes? Yeah, um, I've got a few, actually. 
Um, aside from the fact that John Wayne looks like he's seven feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, so one of the things that I noted was, um, I, I'm assuming that this was a direct influence, but maybe not. I don't know. But the whole scene where, um, where Rance is working in the diner now and walking out to the front and giving people their food and people are kind of, um, you know, just making fun of him a little bit and all that stuff mm-hmm. reminded me a lot of the power of the dog. Um, mm, yes. w- when, um, oh crap. Whose, whose character is it? Yeah, Cody uh, Smith McPhee's character. I'm forgetting the name of him. Is it? Yeah. 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 Like he's coming out and serving them food mm-hmm. and then Benedict Cumberbatch's yeah. character is like, just, you know, really, really ragging on yeah. him a lot. Well, in this, in uh, uh, Liberty Valance, you know, they, there's a thrown off line about how, Basically, the idea of being a, a waiter, you know, serving food in this restaurant at this time is considered to be woman's work. And so for Jimmy Stewart to agree to it is kind of, like, wait, what do you, you know, a man is going to serve food? Like, that's so, so, you know, degrading or something, which is why then when Liberty Valance comes in, he's kind of poking fun at, at Jimmy Stewart. So, sorry, continue. Um. But yeah, so I just I noticed I noticed a, a connection there. I would be curious mm-hmm. to hear if Jane Campion specifically was calling back to that, or if it's just a common thing that's seen in uh, these types of Wild West movies. Um, but yeah, and then I also, yeah, I also noted that I feel like the the dynamic between um, between Tom and Hallie feels a little bit like Belle and Gaston in the <laughs> Beast. <laughs> Yeah, um, I can see it. Um, except the opposite being that in this, Hallie literally can't read and Belle reads like a million books. But um, it just felt very much so like she's this very intelligent woman who's kind of independent and in her own world. And and then this guy who's like, oh, well, I will have her because she's the one for me and blah, 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 blah. Um, so, th- I mean, that's a very loose connection. But I felt yeah. like... There, I mean, Tom is just... not a Gaston. He's much... He's much um... You know, he really really thinks he's going to be able to win Hallie, but he's not like a as much of a jerk about it as, as Gaston. And he's, he's not really like, oh, I deserve her because I'm the best or anything like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he gives her up with grace, um, yeah. which I appreciate. Um, but initially that was kind of it just was something that came into my mind. Um, and then this sequence is the one with the steak, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're like serving steak to people. I wrote down that the steak looks freaking nasty. Like <laughs> I am not eating that steak. I I'm pretty sure all of them are going to get food poisoning because that steak is freaking raw. Like mm-hmm. I, ugh, it, that is as a as a prop buyer, I'm just like, who bought <laughs> that steak? Say, as a prop where'd that buyer, steak come from? That looks gross. <laughs> was, was that steak probably sitting under hot lights for like six hours before they uh, were able to film with it? I've literally, I don't know. It literally looks like it's made out of rubber. It, it just, it just looks, it looks disgusting. Um, and they kept showing it. And I just was like, please stop showing that on camera. It's disgusting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think another thing that I'll just note from this section is um, I found, I found the acting in this movie. I found the acting in this movie to either be obnoxious or, or just not moving at all. I felt mm-hmm. like characters were either flat or they were so over the top that I was like, will you please stop talking? And so I feel like we're introduced to a lot of very um, just 
crazy characters. You know, you you mentioned the sheriff who is just really annoying. I mean, I understand what they're trying to do with him. I, I get yeah, it. He's sort of a comic relief. It's character. a bit much. Um, and kind of uh, Liberty Valance's henchmen, I think, are incredibly obnoxious. <laughs> um, the reporter's kind of annoying. I just kind of going back to what I said in the beginning. I feel like none of these characters. Other than Hallie and Rance, I feel like none of these characters are people. They're just caricatures that are there to just be a person who's that type of person. And yeah. it just, it, yep. it annoys me. Yeah, that's um, right. And that, I mean, but I did the definition of an archetype. Yeah. And so, and then I guess the last thing I have to say about this section is Jimmy Stewart, I, I think he's a great actor, but. Man, sometimes he just says things. I'm like, dude, take it down a notch. <laughs> and there's this there's this sequence where he finds out that Hallie can't read. And she's like, what? Do you think I could actually learn? He's like, well, sure. You can. <laughs> like, dude. He's so excited. I mean, he is so enthusiastic about teaching this woman how to read. And not in a way that's like, oh, I like her. And now I get an opportunity to spend more time with her. But in a way that literally makes no sense like no one would be that excited about telling someone that they're able to read he just loves Um, education what can i tell you so in that specific moment he definitely made me laugh because i was like jimmy i love you tone it down a bit like this is (laughs) this is a bit much (laughs) um that's funny but yeah i guess that's kind of all i have to say about the beginning like i don't have anything super profound to say other than just i think Yeah, I just found the acting in this movie. I think my three favorite performances were uh, Jimmy Stewart and then the woman who plays Hallie and then the man who plays Pompey. I think that the three of them give very strong performances. Yes. Which, uh, shout out to... It's not... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say shout out to Woody Strode who plays Pompey. He, um, I guess I I went down a mini rabbit hole while I was uh, researching for this episode because um, I was very struck by him. He he is great in this movie. He was a um, he was a friend of John Ford's, and apparently was in several of John Ford's movie. He had actually been the lead of uh, a previous John Ford movie called Sergeant Rutledge, which I've never seen, but now I really want to see. But he had originally been an athlete. He was a um, one of the first pro black football players. Um, he'd helped to integrate pro football in America. And um, I think he he did some other sports as well. He may have gone to the Olympics. I'm not 100% sure sure about that. But yeah, he was an athlete um, turned actor, obviously an incredibly striking presence. And um, yeah, definitely, definitely would be interested in checking out more of his work because he's he's a really striking uh, screen presence. He's also in um he's also in Spartacus. I don't think you've seen oh. that movie. Um no, but not I was the whole watching way this. I was watching this and I was like, why is that face familiar? And then I looked it up and then I realized, oh, that's the guy from Spartacus. Oh nice. Um, okay. Yeah, I need but, to I need to finish watching that movie. I've seen the start of it. I need to watch the rest of it. Stanley Kubrick, man. He he knows what he's doing. <laughs> man but, knows where to put a camera. He does doesn't necessarily know how to treat people well on set but uh <laughs> you know yeah sadly you could say that for a lot of directors another, including another John conversation Ford. for another day yeah. <laughs> anyway we sorry just have i a interrupted whole podcast. your point about we should just have a whole podcast episode dedicated to just talking about the struggles of loving the art 
mm-hmm. that's made by filmmakers that are actually really really shitty people yeah because there's a lot of them a lot yep. of them yep you could probably count more on the directors who are not completely shitty to their casting crew mm. yeah yeah anyway um but yeah i think i was just saying before that um aside from those three characters or those three performances it's not that the rest of the performances are bad per se i just think that they're they're just flat for me. It's like they exist just to exist and move the story along. Whereas it's like, I'm not interested in them. They're just there. Whereas Pompey, Hallie and Rance, I I'm genuinely invested in them as, as people. So yeah. 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 Um, what did you think actually about, well, I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about this and then ask what you thought about it. So um, as you mentioned, Tatum, um, Jimmy Stewart, Rance, <laughs> I should stop saying Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> uh, Rance w- starts working in the restaurant, and then he, um, as he's trying to set up his law practice, he starts working in the office of the local newspaper, which is the Shinbone Star, uh, alongside its editor, Dutton Peabody, who's um, an alcoholic, but a, basically a decent guy who, you know, he wants to be reporting the news and, and, um, bringing um, important stories to the people of Shinbone, but um, that job is often complicated by the fact that when he reports the news, powerful people who have a liberty of balance on their payroll tend to get mad. Um, but while that's happening, yeah, so Rant starts, he sets up a school, he starts teaching Hallie, he starts teaching um, children and adult from all over, um, not just how to read, but also just the principles of democracy and the rule of law and... Um, um, yeah, uh, uh, voting and, and the fact that people theoretically should have equality and each should have an equal voice. Um, but Liberty Valance and his backers are not happy about that and um, threaten to shut them down. And Tom and Rant several times are clashing over the best way to handle these threats from Liberty. So Tom is of the opinion the only way to handle him is through a gun. And Rance keeps saying, no, 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 I want to bring law. You know, we shouldn't just be killing people. I really want to do this um, by having him arrested, by having him tried. You know, I want to do this through the proper channels. But Tom is like, no, 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 you're out. You're out west. You can't expect any of that to happen. So finally, what happens is Hallie learns that Rance has been secretly going off and he's got himself a gun and he's been doing target practice. So she tells Tom, Tom brings him over to his ranch and gives him a shooting lesson. Um, They also kind of talk about Hallie because Tom has realized that Hallie and Rance are kind of interested in each other. And he's like, Hallie's my girl. And Rance is like, I know. Um, So, yeah, any any thoughts on this section, but also curious about um, the character of Dutton Peabody and and what you think about him. He's the um, the editor of the the local newspaper Mm, okay um well i'll start with the with the dutton peabody question because i feel like that's a much shorter answer of uh i don't really feel anything towards him at all (laughs) um so i don't know if there's something there specifically that you want to touch on um, yeah just I i really liked his character i liked his dynamic with rants um he's this character who's a little kind of a a sad character in that he's you can tend 
tell that he and Rance are sort of kindred spirits, but before Rance has come, he's kind of been a lone island in this town. You know, he has this trade, which is um, creating and selling a newspaper, but no one really wants it because the um, idea of literacy and education and law has been completely disregarded until now. And so because of that, he's kind of depressed and he's an alcoholic. But when Rance comes, he kind of offers this hope that maybe something can change. Maybe something can be a little bit different. And um, yeah, I, ju I just really enjoy their um, their dynamic together. You know, he's a little bit scared, but Rance is always pushing him towards, no, 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 we've got to, you know, we've got to do what we can. We've got to help these people. We've got to show them a better way. And um, it doesn't always end well <laughs> for him, as we will talk about, but um, there, there is a, you know, a kind of a noble potential to him that Rance is able to bring out. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, other thoughts about this section of the movie about Rance and Tom's dynamic or um, uh, Rance's, uh, the school that he's leading, things like that? Yeah, I think the school portion of the movie is what bothers me so much about this movie <laughs> because I thought it was going in this direction mm -hmm. and it should have gone in this direction, <laughs> but it didn't. Um, yeah. I think the school scene is, is my favorite sequence in this whole film. I think that there is a lot of um, completely unashamed, explicitly stated, um, just statements against statements against racism mm -hmm. and against sexism and against classism. And for 1962 from a white man, I feel like for, also from a white man who a lot of people watch his movies, I feel like this was a real risk for mm -hmm. him. Um, but I thought that, I mean, there were some very beautiful things in here. I thought that, and honestly, for me, coming from the year 2023, it was really moving to hear someone actually talking about, um, you know, the, uh, gosh, what is it? It's not the, I was thinking the, the Ten Commandments. It's <laughs> not the Ten Commandments. <laughs> the Constitution, like, mm -hmm. like the, um, and having someone read it with such conviction as if it's something that actually matters and something that actually provides hope. Because I feel like nowadays it's like the constitution, no one follows it and it sucks and there's all these flaws and it's not going to change what we need to change it, but we can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. Like there's all of this baggage on the constitution. And I think there was then as well, but I just liked how this character in this scene, there was no baggage with the Constitution. It was just like, this is what it should be. All men are created equal. Like, all people are created equal. Mm -hmm. and, the very explicit um, choice to have that those words be stated by the Woody Strode character, who is Black, and him being talked through it. And so, Rance being so encouraging and so, yeah, like, you know, really... Um. yeah, like really affirming his right to be there and his, um, you know, his choice to, to learn about it and to, to get the, the opportunities that education offers. Like it is, you can tell it's a very explicit choice by the screenwriter and director. And, and I do think it's a really beautiful moment. 
And there wasn't just support from Rants either. It mm-hmm. like Pompey would say something, then the man sitting next to him would reach up and give him like a like a an arm tap of camaraderie. Like he was supported by everyone in that mm-hmm. room. And he had a place there and he was welcome there. And same with Hallie too. I just thought that it was I just thought that it was really great how there were all these people in this town. First of all, all these people that can't read, which in and of itself is really sad. Um, but then Rance creating this environment where he is genuinely like this felt like a real classroom. It felt like an actual teacher who's passionate about what they do. And because he was kind of telling people when they were wrong of just like, no, that's not what it is. But then correcting them in a way that was gentle, but also, you know, just, I, I don't know. I yeah. just thought that this, He's such a good I thought teacher. that this, I thought that this scene was beautiful and, I really thought that the that the film was going to go in the direction of um, this is the type of justice that is needed. The type of justice that is needed is providing equality, providing literacy, providing education to people who are of lower class or a different race or a different gender or whatever. And then maybe liberty is going to come in and start fighting against that. And then that's going to be the, the, the core of the problem. And maybe it was... But yeah. I felt like it didn't deliver on that because we never, we never saw it. it. Just it just became rants versus Liberty Valance, and I didn't care about that justice. I don't care about the justice of putting Liberty Valance down. I don't care about that justice. I care about the justice of getting all of these other people the equality that they deserve. And so, yeah, I, I loved this sequence. Um, unfortunately, I don't think I can talk about it as much because to the listener Geneva and I watched this a week ago we were supposed to record last week but it didn't it didn't happen for personal reasons and so I'm a week removed from watching this film so I don't remember all the specific details of what happened in this sequence um but I do remember that uh I really really enjoyed it and because this scene was so strong and really moved me it really disappointed me that the movie did not continue down this path in my opinion yeah so i would argue that the scene the movie is continuing down this path it's just that we don't see the classroom specifically anymore because none of the rest of the plot needs to take place in the classroom but i think one of the thing one of the reasons that liberty valance needs to be taken down is because of the opposition that he represents against that against education, against giving people a voice and a vote. I mean, a big plot in the second half of the movie is these elections that are happening, which is um, the people voting to um, elect delegates who will then be sent to discuss the possibility of statehood. And what statehood represents is the bringing of complete law and order, which by implication also brings about, um, you know, government protections and mandates for education and um yeah protections doesn't that for... happen doesn't that happen after valance is dead though the convention at the after valance is dead is i believe all of the elected delegates then go to a convention where they're going to not a hundred percent sure there. I think they're going to discuss statehood there or they're electing a representative who's then going to go to discuss statehood. I'm not a hundred percent sure like what each event is meant to represent, but there is an important election that happens in the town um, that Valance is opposing because 
he and specifically the wealthy ranchers who pay him are against it because that would threaten their own interests um, to have um, to have there be some sort of rule of law and to have the the interests of the the underdog, the smaller people, um, the smaller ranchers or, or everyday people to have those be backed by the rule of law. So, yeah, I, I, I would argue in the language of the movie, the whole point is that we want to be moving towards what Rance is able to set up, this sort of school, this atmosphere of people being able to be, um, to learn and grow and, and have protections. It's just that we don't, we're not spending any more time in the school because Valence is a thing that threatens against it. And we need to have that sort of, you know, narrative slash moral confrontation with Liberty Valence. But, um, and I don't, I don't think we need to, I don't think we need that at all. I, I think <laughs> like this, this should have been a different movie. Get, take Liberty Valence <laughs> well, see, out here of we it. Have like, the fundamental he, thing. <laughs> he is not, he is not needed. And even everything that you're saying of he's representing these other ranchers and it's a threat to them. But I'm like, we don't see any of that. We just see Liberty Valence show up and he's like, I don't like this. I'm going to hurt you. And it's like, why? I feel like we could have gotten that same dynamic of the ranchers over there don't like what's going on and they're going against the, you know, the education of these people. And now we're going into court and electing these leaders. I feel like we could do all of that and get rid of the Western thing of Liberty Valance and we're having a shootout in the center. I'm like, we don't, we don't need that. The movie, and this is just my own personal opinion, but you're saying we need Liberty Valance. I'm like, we don't need him at all like the movie would benefit from getting rid of him as a character and doing what it already wants to do because it sounds like and tell me if I'm misinterpreting but it sounds like you're saying that Liberty Valance is a character that's needed in order to like move this story forward and really help solidify the points that the movie is trying to make of Mm -hmm. like justice versus injustice in this struggle and he's needed in order to propel that forward. And I don't think he's needed at all. I think that you could get rid of him and get rid of all of the Western stuff and still get to that point of communicating the same messages and the same themes, but in a more interesting way. But that's for me because I don't like the Western format that I'm like, we don't need that. It's unnecessary. But if people, for people who like the Western format, they're like, no, that is necessary because it works for me. So I'm like, I want this to be a different movie mm-hmm. and because I don't like Westerns and people who like Westerns want this movie to be what it is because they like that, that type of, that type of tool bag that the Westerns use. So th- I think that's like, that's my main crux, not crux, but that's my main issue with this film of, of. I wish it was You wish it was fundamentally a different it, movie than what it is. Yeah. <laughs> like I, no, sure. I don't think I don't think fundamentally a different movie because I think I like I like the themes that it's stating. I like the message. I like what it's fighting for. I like I like what the movie is trying to say. So I don't think it needs to be something fundamentally different. I think the fundamentals are great. It's just this main character I don't get him out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I would argue, particularly, especially considering the movie is called 
the man who's Liberty Valance. <laughs> the character of Liberty Valance is pretty darn important. <laughs> I guess, but because I don't that know. is that question of who shot him and what I don't care is the I don't care that is like sets up a huge portion of what the movie is fundamentally saying. I, I don't care. <laughs> not, not that I don't care what you're saying, but I don't care yeah, who, yeah. Sh- who shot Liberty Valance. And also in that sequence when Liberty Valance was shot, I knew who shot him. It mm-hmm. wasn't like, oh, who did it? Oh my gosh, Rance did it. Whoa, it actually was Tom? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, Tom was freaking hiding around the corner and he shot Liberty Valance. I already know that. Right, right. <laughs> like, I I don't know. I don't care who shot Liberty Valance because Liberty Valance is boring. Like, I don't know. It, what if the story was instead like, who gave the people of the town a voice or something like that? Like, cause then the movie is more centered on Rance. Whereas instead of Liberty, who's, which also his name's Liberty, which I feel like was someone trying to be witty. And I'm like, ugh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's, I, be, let's be witty and call him Liberty. Well, like, okay. Yeah, the, the delicious irony of that. <laughs> Does liberty valance, valance mean something? Does, does valance mean anything? I mean, there's curtain valances. I don't know if that's spelled the same way, but okay. Because I'm curious if valance means something. Let me see. Yeah, I'm not sure if a curtain valance is spelled with an e or an a, but um, yeah. I mean, valance, I, I think the fundamental problem is that you don't like what the <laughs> movie is trying to do, <laughs> and and you don't like this the western going in. genre. So <laughs> we knew this going in. So we did. I, we did. Yeah, I'm I'm trying my best here. I I, I liked the movie. I just didn't like the western part, <laughs> which happens to be a large portion of this film in the second half. It is. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. So. Um, Let's see, where were we? So, yeah, so there's elections that are happening in this town. Um, Rance, basically, he's brought in to to run the meeting. Um, He gives this rousing speech about why we want to be working towards statehood, because statehood offers all of these opportunities and protections um, for everyone. Rance nominates Tom as a delegate, um, but Tom refuses. So Tom is... Tom is out. Liberty Valance shows up. He tries to get himself elected, but Rance uh, Rance is basically able to, um, with his voice, the crowd is empowered to shout down Liberty's election. And instead they nominate both Rance and Peabody, the editor, um, to be the the two representatives from the town for the, the statehood conversations. So Liberty's infuriated by this and he tells, basically challenges Rance to a duel. He just says, you know, we're going to meet tonight and um, I'm going to kill you. So Tom and basically everyone Rance knows is saying, you need to get out of town right now. Liberty is completely, totally going to murder you. And Rance is like, no, 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 no. Um, Liberty uh, goes to the newspaper office and finds Peabody there. He and his men really rough up Peabody, like basically beat him to which within an inch of his life. Um, yeah, I thought he was dead. I thought he was dead like, at first oh, wait, too. No, yeah, he's not. not. Not quite dead, but very close to it. Um, he's mostly dead. He's mostly dead. <laughs> mostly dead. <laughs> All dead. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's horrible. Um, Rance find, finds Peabody and is... Um, yeah, just furious. So he goes, he gets his gun, um, he and he heads out to 
meet Liberty. And there's a confrontation between the two of them. Um, some really beautiful lighting. I really, really love the way that this scene was shot and the use of shadows and um, highlights during this sequence. But basically, Liberty shoots at Rance a couple times. He hits him in the arm at one point. He's just kind of playing with him. Um, Rance is struggling <laughs> to stay alive, basically. Finally, Liberty goes to shoot Rance. He goes in for the kill, but Rance shoots and Liberty falls over dead. And everyone runs out into the street. Hallie tends to Rance's gunshot wound. Um, Tom shows up and he sees Hallie tending to him and he realizes, yeah, Hallie is no longer my girl. She's um, She has feelings for Rance. So he goes back to the saloon. He goes, he gets drunk, he goes home and tries to burn down his house with himself inside it to kill himself, but Pompey rescues him. So is he, I was confused about this in the movie. Mm -hmm. Did he attempt to commit suicide literally just because Hallie chose Rance instead? Or is there something else going on there? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I think the idea is that he is, he's not a very happy person and um, he's just, put all of his hopes on the idea that um, I'm going to marry Hallie and he's been building this this room for her. Um, he's been thinking, you know, uh, we're going to live here together and that's going to be the rest of my life. And then seeing Rance come in, who probably represents something that he kind of maybe not, you know, something that is very much not who he is, someone who has what he can never offer. That kind of brings up all feelings of loneliness and self-loathing and it particularly you know with the context of knowing that Rance is now being celebrated for something that Tom in fact did um which Tom does not want to reveal to anyone else but it still I think makes him feel depressed and so yeah he tries to tries to kill himself but Pompey rescues him prevents him from from dying I feel like I don't feel the pain there because I feel like the relationship between him and Hallie was not established. I, I I don't I don't believe that Tom was that upset to the point that he was going to kill himself because we don't ever see, in my opinion, any sort of deep connection between the two of them or any sort of profound one-on-one -on -one. there isn't really anything that happens that really establishes them as a couple or as something where they have a future together and yes I think it's talked about mm -hmm. but I feel like I don't see enough to actually like I remember when I watched this and he was going to his house to burn it down I was like I feel like I'm supposed to be feeling something here but first of all, I didn't even understand that the reason he was killing himself was because he was upset about Hallie because I didn't even realize that he cared that much because I felt like their relationship wasn't established. But now that you're saying that, I'm like, that just, that emotional, um, like, that emotional movement that it's asking for, I feel like is not deserved because it doesn't it doesn't lay enough groundwork for that to have the impact that it's asking for, at least in my opinion. But that's because, yeah. I mean, I, I struggle a little bit more with, I, with 
with being engaged with romances if they're not believable to me. And this movie, the romance between the two of them is not believable to me because I don't see it throughout the movie anywhere. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I'm like, why are you killing yourself over a romance that's stupid? But it, not no, not stupid. I don't think that it's stupid. I I just don't think it's established. So I don't I don't care about it. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I think for me, Cause, it's because they like they establish it even in the beginning of like, oh, let's go to this house, and it's so sad. We're seeing these flowers on the ground, and oh no, I can't go. I'm just like I don't I, I don't know. I just found I found Tom's character to be so flat. He's he's just someone who exists to do the things. But we don't have any, for me, I don't have any emotional connection to the things that he does. Yeah. Well, to me, Tom's character is very much a tragic character. I mean, he, he's a character who's very difficult to like in certain ways, you know, because he is that more hardened, rough and tumble cowboy. He doesn't have the the culture or the education of Rance. He's prickly. Um, he can be kind of... He's definitely, definitely anti-progressive, you know, maybe a little bit racist. Like he's, he's very against, against Pompey getting an education because he's like, no, 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 you're supposed to be working for me. Um, you know, he, he's a character who is very much sort of stuck in the past and doesn't really have a future in this new world that Rance is building. And I think you see throughout the film that Hallie is, she has affection for him. You know, maybe she feels a little bit sorry for him. Um, but she doesn't feel the same way about him that he feels about her. And so when their relationship is brought up, it's usually Tom saying, you know, oh, you know, we could go out and take a drive or, you know, he shows Rance like, oh, I'm building this room for her when we eventually get married. You know, he really loves her, but she does not feel the same way about him. You know, it's very, it's not a mutual romance. I I almost hesitate to call it a romance because it's, it's very much one-sided. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't hate him or anything like that. You know, I think she views him as a friend, but she, yeah, fundamentally does not love him the way that he loves her. And so to me, what works about that sequence is the fact that it is this character who is kind of tragically, he's kind of a tragic figure. You know, he's very limited by his circumstances, by his personality, by his situation. And he's built up all of these hopes over this woman who really was never going to love him. And finally, he's seeing all of these hopes coming down and she's going for the one man who represents and can give, can give her all of these things that he's never able to give her. And that's just, you know, kind of everything hitting at once. It, it just fills him with despair. And so, yeah, I do find him to be kind of a prickly character and one that can be hard to like at certain points. But I think he is a also a tragic figure. And, and so I kind of feel sorry for him. Even if he isn't the most likable or well-rounded in the same way that Rance and Hallie are, I don't, I don't care if characters are prickly or unlikable. There's actually lots of things that I like. Breaking Bad, for example, Walter White is freaking prickly and unlikable, but I feel like I care about and am invested in his journey because well, we're very different there because I do not care about Walter well, White at all. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I but, see what you're saying, but like. I'm trying to say that like the reason that I don't connect with Tom is not because he's a quote unquote like unlikable character. I, I 
someone being an unlikable character does not prevent me from, you know, being engaged with their story. I find that you saying that um, Hallie doesn't love Tom the way that Tom loves her. I don't see, I don't see love from Tom for her really. Like I see that he's interested in kind of wanting to court her and have a relationship, but I don't see any sort of profound love there at all, especially not one that's going to lead him to kill himself because she chooses another man. And so I hear what you're saying and I see like, and I understand why you are invested, but I also think that a lot of the things that you're saying that are moving you in that sort of way, I just didn't see that in the film at all. I find that for me, I felt like it was a lot of reading between the lines and adding in details that weren't actually there. And um, I don't know. It just, it didn't, Tom as a character was just not, not well established for me. He just was, a, a like I said before, a person who existed and did things. And the reason he existed was to do things. And that's it. I'm like, okay, great, but I don't care. <laughs> but at the same time, at the same time, I, I do fully, like, I do fully respect where you're coming from. And I do see your point of view. And I do see, I do see why you care. It just doesn't work for me. So this isn't me saying like, oh, well, how you're stupid in your analysis because <laughs> you're blah, blah, blah. You're like saying. it's not it's not me criticizing your perspective right. because I think that your perspective is valid I just don't <laughs> agree yeah. with, like, it's not okay. that I don't agree I just I don't I don't see I don't I'm not making the same connections that you're making because I feel like they're they're not there in in my viewing they're not there mm-hmm. and yeah. I feel like again the the movie in the second half focuses on things that I really feel like you're focusing on this, but I don't care about like, why are we focusing on this romance? Like, I I don't know. Anyway, I'm not going to keep, I'm not going to keep rambling. I just, I, I, the things that the film chooses to focus on in the second half, it's like, if you want to focus on it, then go all in. Don't just give us bits and pieces. And all of a sudden, Oh boy, this big thing happened. I'm like, if this is the point of the movie, then really go all in on it and don't just like add different tacked on points to move the story along. Like I take me on a journey. Don't just, you know, drop me somewhere and say, here you are. And then drop me somewhere else and say, well, here you are. I'm like, what is going on (laughs) anyway? Yeah. Yep. That's, that's Um, totally fine. Mm -hmm. So, one one other thing I wrote down is because uh, I think I think we're past this in terms of what you were saying sure. in the plot summary. Um, when Rance gets shot, hmm. he would have bled out and died. Let me just say, <laughs> like <laughs> he gets shot I in mean, the arm. He, well, didn't he get? Oh, well, yeah, I guess. But I feel like the way that he was bleeding and how long it took him to get to the other—I don't know. I was like, I feel like this feels a little. Uh, I don't know. I feel like he'd be in worse shape or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't anyway, know. I mean, I just, people survive that's... getting shot in the arm all the time. <laughs> yeah, that could be true. Um, did you, I forget, did you, in your, when you were kind of talking about just the plot of the movie and going through it, did you get to the, um, to the like 
election speeches at the convention yet or no? No, we've not gotten there yet. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, we're just about to get there. Yeah. Did you have any other thoughts about the confrontation or anything else that happens prior to that? I have a question, Mm -hmm. which maybe you have a better understanding of this. I was a little bit confused as to the the portrayal of Mexican people in this movie. I was like, I don't know if this is problematic (laughs) or inclusive because I don't understand, like, is the sheriff married to a, a Mexican woman and has Mexican, like, what? Oh, is he? I didn't even remember that. Because he talks about his yeah. kids and it sounded like, and then there's sequences. Uh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I was just confused. I was like, I can't tell if this yeah. is the movie trying to be inclusive of let's include Mexican people and just have representation. Or if it was like, no, the Mexican people are just here to play music and blah, blah, blah. I couldn't figure it out. I was like, I'm very uncomfortable because I don't know where I should stand on this. (laughs) I mean, in the case of a lot of classic Westerns, if you ask, is this inclusive? Is this problematic? I would say yes. It's (laughs) most likely problematic. It is both of those things. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, again, and you know, I've, you know, I've, I've seen a fair amount of Westerns, but I would not say I've seen a huge amount and it, it really can vary i think from film to film and from director to director what they consider important where their maybe personal politics are slash where the studio is at the time whether there are stars who are you know insisting on um more or less inclusivity things like that um like it 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 really can vary i mean hollywood at this time uh, you know, it is a very super inclusive Geneva. It's I don't a, it's a like... deeply complex issue. Um, so, so did you understand what their deal was? In I mean, this movie? I, I don't really remember specifically the, um, the sheriffs having a, a Mexican family. I would not be surprised. I mean, I don't, I don't think it would be unusual for like, um, I mean, in in the context of the Western genre, I don't know about the history of this period, but I don't think it would be super um, unusual in a Western movie to just casually show that a man who's not the main character, you know, the sheriff of the town has married a, a Mexican woman and has some children with her. Like, I don't I don't think that would be super unusual. Um, and I don't think it's OK. I, I it's probably again, I don't super remember exactly how this is portrayed because i don't think it's um made a big deal of i it probably would be the intention would be to include the fact that there is a mexican premise presence in this town but is probably um generally separate from you know kind of a subculture within this town that's not a huge um presence in the the field division of the main characters um mm-hmm. so a little bit of inclusivity but is not you know, clearly they're not telling this story from a Mexican perspective. So, yeah, I would okay. say. I just wasn't sure if there was something that I was missing. Gotcha. Of they, they established these people in some sort of way that I missed or. Uh, yeah, I just was yeah. confused. No, I they would just show up just... and I was like, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Given my limited understanding of the, the Western genre at this time, it's probably just to establish, you know, this is a town that has Mexican people within it. You know, it's a pretty diverse town, but um, they're you probably know what very Mexican much Mexican people do. They just play mariachi music all, <laughs> all the, time. the time. That's what Mexican people do. Yep. Yeah. Ugh. 
Okay, cool. I was just curious about that. Sorry, you froze for a second. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, Yeah. So, all right. So, next part of the plot. Um, Rance and Peabody arrive at the Territorial Convention. So, there is a um, kind of long, possibly a little bit longer than it needed to be seen, that is basically just... Thank you for saying that. I wrote down. <laughs> this is the one scene I where I was like, down, all right, maybe we can trim this I, down a I, little bit. <laughs> I had to fast forward it because I was like, this scene is so long. They have like a three minute introduction monologue for mm-hmm. each candidate. And yeah. I was like, oh, my Lanta. Please move on. <laughs> it is basic parodying slash poking fun at politicians, political. Um, practices both of the time and then probably by extension um of the time that the movie was made so they have this guy who's nominated for congress and he has this mustache that looks exactly like theodore roosevelt and he he has this cowboy on a horse riding and like everyone is (laughs) but he gets up on stage and everyone's clapping and they're like settle down this is ridiculous like stop doing these crazy gimmicks and yeah, so I think they're just so kind of long. poking fun at like, you know, the the entrenched Washington politicians who, you know, play act at being men of the people and like, oh, I'm so close with the cowboys. Look at this cowboy who's coming in to stump for me and stuff like that. Um, they have this guy who stands up uh, played by um, I think John Carradine is his name. He's a character actor of the time. He's, he was in a couple other John Fords. He has this really great role in um stagecoach but he just exists in this movie to give this long speech with these really long words he's like oh, i declare to all the people that you know it feels, go, going it feels off like an snl sketch <laughs> yeah. of like i want to introduce the most important yes, well the most, the most important renowned. of the last 10 years he is renowned he is special he's done so much for us <laughs> he's done things like bring us clean water and bring us books and did i tell you that i'm like oh my Oh my gosh <laughs> please stop please yeah stop. so it's all it's all meant to be kind of comedic uh at least my, my assumption that it's all meant to be kind of you know comedic <laughs> and like poking fun at how what ridiculous blowhards politicians can be sometimes right most of the time anyway the upshot of it though is um rance is nominated to be um representing them i guess in congress as they're doing these like you know, statehood conversations and um, Peabody nominates him. And, and a big part of his, like, you know, why this guy should be representing him is because he's this great champion of law and order. You know, the railroad is coming and civilization's coming and we need this guy who can like really stand up against the forces of, of chaos and, and represent um, yeah, law. So Rance is really upset about this and uncomfortable and he leaves the room and, Tom follows him. Tom is there as well. And Rance is basically like, I am, you know, I'm being like the the fact that I did this murder, that I killed Liberty Valance is like, everyone is, everyone wants me to build a whole life on this. And I don't want to do that. Um, and Tom sa- tells him like, no, um, you didn't kill Liberty Valance. So we get, we get a flashback to the confrontation. We see it from Tom's perspective. He steps in. He sees that Liberty is about to kill Rance, and he grabs his gun, and he shoots at the same moment as Rance, and he kills 
liberty. Um, so back in the present, Tom tells Rance, people, everyone's depending on you. Hallie specifically is depending on you. You better go back in there and accept that nomination. So Rance does. He goes back in there. He accepts the nomination. We cut back to the, the present present, which is Rance as an old man concluding his story to the reporters and says basically, well, you know what happened next? You know, I got elected. I was governor for multiple terms. I was senator. I was an ambassador to England. You know, if he's had this illustrious presidential career. He might be, be um, vice president next. And, you know, it's all basically it's all based on this lie, which is that I'm the man who shot Liberty Valance, which I wasn't. But the editor rips up his story and Rance is like, you're not going to publish it. And the editor says, this is the West. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. So Rance and Hallie leave um, on the train home. Um, Rance suggests to Hallie would you be interested in coming back to Shinbone to retire here? And Hallie's like, yeah, that would be great. I really love it. And um, the railroad conductor comes by and he's like, um, oh, you know, Mr. Stoddard, like Senator, we, you know, we made all these special accommodations for you. We called ahead, you know, you're going to be all comfortable on your trip back to DC and Rance is back in politician mood. He's like, oh, that's fine. That's fine. Um, but then at the very end, the railroad conductor says, oh, that's okay. Nothing is too good for the man who shot Liberty Valance. And so we hold on this guilty look that Rance gives. And then we cut to the train speeding off into the distance. And that is the end of the movie. So it was a large section of the movie that I just covered. But yes, Tatum, thoughts on this I, I, do, I don't want to call it a twist ending because obviously you guess what was going to happen and I don't think it's really difficult to, to tell. <laughs> no. I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily intended to be a I twist. I mean, the fact that the title asks who shot Liberty mm. Balance basically tells you that yeah. the man you think shot Liberty Balance yeah. is not the actual person <laughs> I rewatched. I watched the trailer that's available on YouTube for this movie and they pretty much spell it out. Um, you know, it's very easy to guess just based on that trailer alone. So yeah, I don't think yeah. it's necessarily intending it as a twist, but it does kind of have you reevaluate then what it means that he has gone on to have this illustrious career and the fact that it happens this way, that it's based on this lie, basically, that everyone assumes that he's the man who shot Liberty Valance and he's not, and he's never corrected that fact and he's built his career on it. It does complicate his story and complicates, you know, who he is and what he's um, done and, um, yeah, which is, you know, obviously that's not the story that you wanted the, the movie to be telling, but for me, that's one of the things I really love about this movie is that this movie is not simple. It's not just a story of, um, you know, this good man bringing education to the masses, like that's part of it and that's great, but it's also complicated. You know, the fact that he, is this good man, but he's also chosen to in part base his career on a lie. And the fact that when they're, they're confronted with the truth, the newspaper reporters specifically decide to ignore it and continue believing what has basically become this legend. And yeah, I just really like the complications of that. The fact that we, you know, we base what we believe in and, and so much about the way we are is based on these stories that we tell about ourselves and what happens when those stories are not really true. And 
there is more happening that's under the surface. There are other people who are involved who've been swept to the side. What do we do with all of those things? So, yeah, that's, <laughs> I really love the, the, the turn that this story takes, but um, I mean, I, I know that that wasn't the story that you were hoping that it was going to be telling. Well, I find it super funny that you say that this movie's not simple. It's not just him bringing equality to the people of this town, but it's more complex because it's got all this da 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 da. And I'm like, all of the extra stuff that's added on is so simply stated that I feel like it adds nothing to the story. <laughs> it's like, oh, he's done this thing. And now his life is a lie, but he doesn't know. It's just, again, just dropping us in places and telling us this is where we are as opposed to actually walking us through that journey. So I actually feel like that stuff is incredibly simple and it would have been way more complex (laughs) if he'd stayed in the town and we'd seen the intricacies of how is he going to teach these people and what impact is that going to have and how are they going to write like... I just, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't like where this movie goes. And I think, I, I don't know. I'm just someone where the particular types of stories that I like and the things that make me really excited about movies and about the stories that movies tell are movies that are very, um, like they, they go really in depth on like the characters and their emotions and the very, like slow evolving of how this emotion leads to this emotion and how that changes their personality and how it changes how they interact with like I like things where you'll take two hours to just learn about one person (laughs) and like one thing that happened in their life you take two hours to learn about one thing that happened in one person's life that happened over like the course of a day I I love that deep character study stuff whereas I feel like this is just the the second half of this anyway it, it doesn't it doesn't linger on anything it doesn't take the time to really walk you through that journey it's just this is where you are now this is where you are this is what happened now this is where you are and so in that way I actually found it to be very I don't know if simplistic is the right word because I don't think it's simplistic in the second half. No, it's definitely not. Like, like there's a lot going on. I just feel like it's it's told in a way that is very um, just matter of fact. There's mm-hmm. no emotional nuance. Which for me makes it hard to connect to because for me it feels unrealistic because life has all of these emotions and it takes a lot of time and I I don't know. I, what I, I what don't do you know. mean when the, you say there's no emotional nuance? Just just curious. I just feel like and again, this could literally just be because this is not my genre and it's not my cup of tea and that's and that's fine. But I feel like I don't connect with these characters at all. And there is no establishing of why. Like, I feel like Rance being ashamed that he's built his life on this lie is not 
shown. It's just like, oh, guess what? He's ashamed that his life is built on this lie. Or, oh, guess what? He is sad that his friend died. Or, oh, he... Uh, it just... It's very just explicitly stated and it's not really... It, it's not. It's not something that... It's not something to be felt for me. Like, it's not making me feel anything. It's just telling me what I'm supposed to feel. And so that's what I mean when I say, like, there isn't really emotional nuance because I don't feel, I don't feel the conflict, the the inner emotional turmoil. I'm just being told that it exists. And that doesn't connect with me because it feels unemotional. It feels fake. It feels like you're just telling me, but why would I believe what you're telling me if I haven't seen why they, I don't know. Um, but that's just the difference in, in how people can consume things and consume movies. And for me, the way that this story presents the emotional storylines does not work for me at all. And I feel like for me, in order to enjoy a movie, there has to be some sort of emotional attachment to it. Um, and once we basically leave the school, I'm not emotionally attached to anything that's going on. Um, so Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... And again, think, that's not me, like, criticizing no. <laughs> your perspective at all. Like, No, I'm I know, not... yeah. I mean, I think, again, this is just the case of this is not a movie, you know, this is not your genre. This is this movie ended up wanting to tell a story that was different than the one that you wanted it to, which is totally fine. Um, I, I wonder, too, I mean, the fact that you, you know, you're not as familiar with, obviously, you've seen plenty of older movies, but, you know, you're not as familiar with the Western genre. You're not as familiar with... Um, I guess the nuances of kind of pacing and acting in, in older movies too. Like, you know, you say that you don't connect to the characters, you're not feeling emotions um, or emotional changes and nuances from them. I am feeling those those things. So I think it's just a difference of perspective um, in that sense, which is, you know, fine. You know, different different things connect to different people. You know, I you, you connected though, to the characters of Pulp Fiction, which I did not. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, different people connect to different things. I will say, though, I don't think my lack of connecting to the characters in this movie is because I don't know how to connect with old movies. Like, I don't think that that's true at all. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not like, obviously, I know you have seen plenty and you're capable of connecting. I just think sometimes there can be like you know, there can be a distinct distancing effect in a different style of pacing or a different style of acting that can be, it can be really hard to get on the same wavelength with, um, if you haven't spent as yeah. much time in that, that area. I just, I just don't think that that's what this is. I think it's just, because again, like I said, with the Westerns that I've seen that are more current, which would theoretically be more of a time period that I'm more comfortable with the pacing or the acting or whatever, like I still don't connect with those stories. Yeah. It's and true. so I don't think I don't think it has anything to do with the time period. Like I love lots of movies that are from the 30s, 40s, 20s, 19 like 1912. Like I I I don't care about when movies come out. I can connect with anything regardless of what time period it comes in unless it's like specifically like a racist movie like birth of a nation that came, i'm like well like that's just straight up a well, problem that what that's saying. yeah um but i i don't think it has anything to do with the time period i can connect with and appreciate old movies and i've seen lots of movies that are are older 
I think it's just the Western genre and the stories that it's trying to tell and the ways in which it tries to tell them I don't connect with. And out of all the Westerns I've seen across the board, that's been true, yeah. regardless of when it has come out. So um, I will defend myself in that area. Like, <laughs> I don't think it has to do with the time period um, because I, I have seen a lot of old movies and I have connected with a lot of old movies. Yeah. yeah um, I just say that because... this movie isn't even that old. It's from the 1960s. No, yeah. No, so. I, just, I just say that because sometimes it can be a shock a bit to me where I, I will see a movie and I'm like, oh, they're, they're really blowing through these plot points and these sort of emotional progressions of the character. Like... If it was a movie now, you know, you would kind of stop and live in the in the moments a little bit longer than you would nowadays. But that's that's a product of just how movies were made back then or what Mm -hmm. the expectations are. And it's not a matter of the movie being wrong. It's a matter of me needing to readjust my thinking Mm -hmm. to its wavelength and think, oh, the movie wants me to be teasing these things out rather than Mm -hmm. it explicitly laying these things out because they had. You know, run times tended to be shorter back then. They really had to get through. And so there was more of an expectation, I think. At least this is what I've assume is the case based on the things that I've seen, is that there's that need for the audience to be really like, yeah, mm-hmm. engaging with things, these things deeply and teasing things out because the movie doesn't just doesn't have the time to, to go into them in the same way it might today. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. But I, I think that in this case... It has a lot to do with the fact that I just don't like questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're already like, yeah, just, at a disadvantage. Like, you're just not yeah, interested in this genre. I'm just not. For whatever reason, I don't know what it is. But, Jeeva, I need to... Well, no, I was going to say I need to pick a movie that you that just doesn't work for you. But we just did. We did Pulp Fiction. <laughs> we did Pulp Fiction, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thank which, you like, you know, there. I think similar to today where it's like we can both find things that we really appreciate... Mm-hmm. And we can connect to certain elements about both of these movies. They're just, right. they're not the movies for us, you know? We're not yeah. going to fully connect to either of yeah. them. Like I said, I don't think this is a bad movie. And I think that, and maybe this hasn't been clear, but if it's not, I'll explicitly state it now. I think, or at least I've tried to communicate clearly that a lot of my issues with this movie are just that I don't connect with it. It's not that it's poorly made. It's not that it's the acting is is bad. I think it's over the top, but I don't think it's bad. It, like I don't have any issues with the craft of the movie itself. It's just that I don't connect with it. So mm-hmm. it is purely a personal thing as opposed to objectively this movie <laughs> does not it's just like no, it it doesn't yeah. work for me. Yeah, and that's um, fine. And I hope that I've communicated that clearly of like it's it's purely a personal thing and not like a the film overall is just poorly made or or the story is poorly written i don't think that's the case yeah so yeah yeah (laughs) all right well um yeah well i think we've we've managed to have a really good conversation about that you know it works for me how do you feel about it geneva (laughs) i i i hope you don't feel like i've torn you down or anything (laughs) No, no 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 yeah i i love this movie so anyone out here there who's listening to this who also loves this movie I, I stand I'm with sure you. There's, I'm sure <laughs> there's lots of people you, that's, who love that's this totally movie. Fine. There's um, lots of people who love this movie, I'm sure. What'd you say? I said there's lots of people who love this movie, I'm sure. I mean, there's a reason why this movie is like 
it's, it's like very, one of the best yeah the so it's of, not like, like ever made. yeah it's not like you're standing on a hill all by yourself <laughs> and alone. we're all <laughs> it's like no i'm pretty sure you're with the masses on this one so <laughs> yeah, that's fine that's okay yeah but yeah i i really do love this movie i um you know i definitely don't disagree that some of the performances are really broad um but i really loved my- well sure you can learn to read <laughs> You know, I always, I'm always going to love Jimmy Stewart, um, no matter what he's doing. Uh, I think he and Hallie have a really sweet chemistry. Um, Lee Marvin as a villain is really fun. I, I've only seen a few things with Lee Marvin, but he's always, um, yeah, he's got that really gravelly voice. Um, we didn't really actually talk about Liberty Valance, apart from him being a flat, you thinking, finding him to be a very flat character, which, yeah, there's not a lot of complexity to his character, but I, I, I enjoy him as a villain, just, you know. He's just a, he just exists to be evil. And and I think Lee Marvin does it really well. Can I ask, do you also agree with me that it's really sad that Howley like disappears in the second half? I wish that there was more of her. I feel like she just completely goes away until. Well, I don't think she, the plot. Because she's such an integral part of the story. I feel like in the beginning. I don't. I didn't notice her going away. And I think it's because there are large chunks of the plot in the second half where there's no reason for her to be present. I mean, there's the entire confrontation scene. Obviously, she's not in that. And then the entire um, uh, elections scene um, where Rance is nominated and he has that talk with Tom. Like, obviously, she's not present for that. So, yeah, when you say that, I'm like, yeah, she does disappear for chunks of it. But because it's... the way that the narrative is going, I I didn't notice it, and then she is very pivotal at the end. Um, you know, when it returns to the present day, and the two of them are sitting on the train, and I don't know, I I find it really interesting watching that last scene and watching her face and trying to parse how much does she know about this past, um, you know, about what happened and what is she feeling now for Tom. You know, obviously there seems to be some sort of not regret, but um, you know, kind of a lingering affection that she has for Tom because she, we find out she's left a cactus rose on Tom's coffin. Um, so clearly she has some sort of wistful feelings for him and for how things went down. So yeah, I just find it really interesting to kind of parse her emotional journey through that and how she's felt over the last, you know, 50 years or however long it's been um, living with Rance and leaving Tom behind and knowing that she broke his heart. So yeah, I, I really love the Hallie character. She does, you're not wrong, she does disappear a bit from the plot, but um, I think her, Vera Miles' performance is really dynamic, and so I just enjoy whenever she's on screen, and I think she she really stands out a lot. Yeah, her and Pompey are my favorite characters. They're great. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, in terms of this movie's... Um, Legacy. So this movie, it was only nominated for one Oscar for Best Black and White um, Costume Design, which I found really interesting. I believe it was... As opposed to color costume design? Mm -hmm. Like, why? Yeah, a lot of these awards back at the time were split up between... There'd be, like, black and white versus color cinematography. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Which, I mean, it makes makes total sense. Like, you're you're doing completely different work when you're designing costumes to be shot in black and white versus in color. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, like that. Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't wouldn't say that I was specifically noticing the costumes in this movie, but <laughs> you know, it's kind of to me, it's like just generic Western costumes. But um, you know, they looked fine, so good for this movie. <laughs> Um, I pulled a couple of critics' thoughts. So interestingly, this Variety article from the time, I think actually kind of agrees with you in a, in a certain way, Tatum. So here, let me read you this quote. Director John Ford and the writers have somewhat overplayed their hands. They have taken a disarmingly simple and affecting premise, developed it with skill, craft and skill to a natural point of conclusion, and then have proceeded to run it into the ground, destroying the simplicity and intimacy for which they have striven. And I think specifically hmm. they were not crazy about the final turn that the, that story takes. And hmm. um, they felt like that kind of um, took away from the movie that it had been building to ever since. So, yeah, any, hmm. any thoughts on that quote? Does that kind of reflect your feelings or do you feel like you have different issues with the movie? Um, I don't know. I, I'd honestly have to like read it a few times in order to... I mean, there's definitely certain sentences in it that I think that I would agree with, but overall, I feel like I'd have to read it a few times to really grasp its main points. So, gotcha. Uh, yeah. 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 So overall, I, I believe this movie was a, a critical and a box office hit, and um, it has very much grown in estimation ever since. Um, so I found a 1978 uh, sight and sound essay by David Corson online, which I found really fascinating. This is not so much a review as it is kind of a um, sort of a film studies critical essay on the film. And it makes some really interesting points about different motifs and themes and visual cues that Ford uses. But so I pulled out this, this quote um, that is kind of summing up some of the, the themes that I find really interesting in this movie. So this is David Corson writing for Sight and Sound. Like many Ford films, most obviously those dealing with the military, Liberty Valance focuses on the struggle to subordinate the individual to achieve some greater communal good. Liberty Valance, however, not only presents such a struggle to civilize the wilderness frontier, but explicitly shows the result, the modern town of Shinbone, and Im implicitly questions whether the sacrifices are justified. Then a little later... Ford undercuts his celebration of the mythic past with a corrosive revisionism that, far more than any lines of quotable dialogue, demonstrate his commitment to confronting and scrutinizing, rather than simply printing, the legend that is the subject of the man who shot Liberty Balance. So definitely kind of more an academic tone in that quote. Um, kind of had to read it a couple times to, to parse what he was saying. But um, yeah, I find those those themes, this idea of the, the individual versus the common good, the way, the idea of the, the frontier versus the, the modern, um, modern town and the mythic past versus the actual future and what we had to um, sacrifice or allied in order to get there, just really scrutinizing and, and contemplating those um sacrifices yeah i just found that to be a really interesting theme in the movie so yeah in terms of what in the movie has has moved me has stuck with me um yeah it, to me it's really just that theme that sort of um as we move from the past into the present you know we have to we tell stories about the past and we have to pick and choose what is true and sometimes we um change the way that we present about present the past or we um you know we we have to tell 
different stories in order to move ourselves forward. And so what is gained through that? What are we able to achieve? But also what is lost? Uh, I find those to be really interesting questions. So Tatum, is there anything, obviously you're not <laughs> a huge fan of this movie, but is there anything about this movie that you think is going to stick with you? Yeah, that classroom scene, man. <laughs> I mean, that That's was freaking profound we need to mm-hmm. make our government officials watch that right now mm. not just government officials our entire nation needs to, <laughs> needs to watch that um absolutely yeah i mean i i found that scene to be very very powerful again i watched this a week ago so i don't remember all the details of what happened in that sequence so i can't speak to a lot of the specifics um but i just i love i love seeing african-american people being treated with respect um, and not just being treated with respect, but really being like pushed forward as Mm -hmm. capable intellectual human beings who deserve to be a part of the conversation. I I love seeing that sort of representation, especially in, you know, 1962. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, I think that that was a really powerful statement to make. um, And I just, I really, really loved I loved that scene. I genuinely loved that scene. Um, and that was my favorite part of the movie. And I think, yeah, I feel like that's that's a scene that I would love to show, you know, my niece or my nephew as they get older to just, like, teach them about just equality of human beings. And, and uh, yeah, I think it's powerful. So I'm definitely going to remember that scene. I, I really enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. 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 Very well said. <clears throat> All right. So, Tatum, do you want to reveal what film we're going to be talking about in the next episode? I'm very excited for this one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So next week is my choice. Um, and as hopefully all of you know, due to our introduction that we give every week, this podcast is is where we talk about movies that uh, films that move us from tears to laughter and everything in between. So there are lots of emotions that happen in between <laughs> tears and laughter. And uh, I don't quite know where, which emotion this movie <laughs> falls under. Uh, I think it falls under several, depending on how old you are and where you were at the time and how you've developed. Uh, but yeah, next week we're going to be talking about Twilight. Um, yes. <laughs> I I will give my full spiel on my relationship with the content of the Twilight movies, the Twilight books next week. I don't want to go into that right now. Are you going to reread um, the entire book in preparation? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, no. <laughs> um, n- even though I did read the first book nine times in like six months. Uh, anyway. Yeah, so next week we're talking about Twilight, guys. So join us for that. I think it's going to be a really, really fun conversation. Uh, This is one of those movies when Geneva and I made our initial list of movies. When we first started this podcast or planning this podcast, we started with 20 movies. And we were looking at the 20 and both of us were just cracking up when we saw that Twilight was on the list. So... um, Yeah, I think we've both been looking forward to this for a while. So join us next week as we talk about uh, the movie Twilight. (laughs) All right. Very, very excited for that conversation next week. All right. Till then. Until then. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. 
Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time.